previously on Voice This, the user research episode. It's always been, what's the business problem that you're trying to solve? Or what's the organizational problem that you're trying to solve? And looking at those problems that way and like, what are you, and who, who needs to be involved? And because that was always our primary focus, I would say the production work changes, but a lot of what I would consider the design problems we were solving were pretty similar. So if you say like, why is this hard to use? And I really encourage anybody who's interested in design to just kind of track, like, like look around you and think like what things are harder to use than it seems like they should be or annoying or strange. And I mean, the place we start is in thinking about the business goals of the organization, fundamentally. I think a lot of the way services are designed has been contributing to the exhaustion. And it's because of this competition for attention. So that's tough because I, I talk to people, they're online all the time. If you ask somebody to walk you, like the best research question is just walk me through your day yesterday. Like that's the most important thing to ask somebody before you get into anything specific. You can bring this around to research and like conversational design to say, okay, what we have to do with that is make sure that what sounds to us like it's convenient or exciting or delightful isn't like one more thing for another person. And we have to make it okay to disconnect the idea that you're paying attention or always present with like the amount of value that you're getting or that you're delivering. Treat every project like it's a vacation. <laughs> Seriously. And, you, and there you go. That's what I was going to close that off. Yeah. And you'll be so much more successful if you do that. There you go. That's it. Welcome to the Voice This Podcast. In this episode, we have part two of two of our exciting conversation with veteran designer Erica Hall. And of course, your Voice This host, Milani. Erica is the co founder and director of strategy at Mule Design Studio and the author of Just Enough Research and Conversational Design. In this episode, Eric and Milani dive into user research and talk about how to avoid tunnel vision in your organization and keep your mindset on your audience's reality. Join them as they discuss how tapping into our natural curiosity towards people and problems can lead to a strong foundation of generative research, more effective usability testing, and a better understanding of the lives that your team is trying to impact. You are now entering Voice This, a podcast by Voice Tech Global, educating listeners on conversational AI. Beware, this podcast contains facts that some listeners may find inspiring and uplifting. This podcast contains strong language and words related to conversational AI that will seem like jargon because they are intended for curious audiences only. Listeners' discretion advised. This is perfect. I feel like... In this episode, it's really good to know that user research should be treated like a vacation. So it's not like every process is the same. It's what's your outcome? What do you need to do to get there? Use what you got. Literally, that's it. Totally. That's how I think about it. Who would have known that it'd be this simple? <laughs> it, it, it is that simple. Like The only reason it's not simple mm -hmm. is because people are so worried that somebody they work with 
is going to call them out. And so the more collaborative and communicative your team and your organization is, the better data you're going to be able to gather. What does good data mean? It's, it's the information that helps you, that, that represents reality, mm-hmm. right? It, it's bad data if it makes you think that reality is something other than it is. Because the whole purpose, right, of gathering any kind of data, whether qualitative or quantitative, is that it gives you a better sense of what the world's really like. Mm-hmm. And so the criteria are really, is it like sufficiently accurate? Does it represent what you, does it answer the question you had? Does it represent like some aspect of reality as opposed to being misleading? about what's really going on? Mm -hmm. And is it useful for the decisions you're trying to make? Those are the most important parts because if you have, and people do this uh, all the time because they prefer that, oh, Mm -hmm. we want numbers. Mm -hmm. Oh, numbers are somehow better. Mm -hmm. They're not, not if what you need is a description. Mm -hmm. So if you have all this fantastic data that you can't use or doesn't help you, I mean, I have one line of work I do is helping organizations that have a lot of data, but no understanding right? You can have so much information that you're still arguing about what, what's real and what matters. So that's, that's when I go in and I'm like, okay, what do you really need to know? What information do you actually need? You know, because a lot of things you can measure don't matter. It's like cool that you're measuring that, you know, what are you going to do with it? Yeah, no, that's very interesting. So you go in and I guess in that point, you kind of ask for what the problem that you're solving Right. Like, and then you kind of get into the nitty gritty after that. Yeah. Yeah. Step one, like where are you trying to get to? What's your goal? How do you know if you're successful? It's just asking these questions. And then it becomes really clear really quickly. Like the, the other objections that people have to research are that it takes a lot of time and money. But if you're really clear on what success means to you and then you can figure out what you need to know like really fast really really like there's so much information out there but you know you just have to ask the right questions Mm -hmm. and that's why people get stuck they have all this data that doesn't Mm -hmm. answer their question and they keep trying to make it fit right Mm -hmm. like oh but we've got these survey results we're gonna make those fit our decisions and it, it goes the other way yeah yeah I know you mentioned in your book how surveys are actually the most difficult one, difficult user research methodology. And it's also not the most accurate one because it's easy to do. So you just throw them out there. And I like, there's this quote that you had, and it was just so amazing where you're like, um, it was like, oh, um, people don't want to interact with people, you know, ask these hard questions. That's super hard, but let's throw like a, a thousand questions and like avoid gross human contact. I literally laughed so hard after reading that, but it's just so true. Like, mm-hmm. so like with all the information that people have, I feel like companies have ways of getting data and storing that in and not knowing how to use them properly. And you're kind of coming in and asking, asking these questions. So what happens after? So when you ask these questions and you figure you kind of get that out of them, right? What they really want, Mm -hmm. what's their real outcome. What's that in between? What does that look like? What are those conversations look like? Or are there activities? Like what is between? Yeah. It it depends on, uh, because a lot of times it's a conversation about, let's talk about what you want to know. That's the best brainstorm any team can have. Like teams are obsessed with brainstorming ideas. Ideas are trash. You don't need ideas. Plus, if somebody suggests an idea, they want it to win. 
And so brainstorming ideas is anti-collaborative. But if you get everybody together, and this I totally recommend, it's a really fun and interesting activity. And you say, okay, what, what are all of our questions? What do we wanna know? And you get everybody to brainstorm all the questions and then you prioritize them. And you say, out of all these things we wanna know, mm -hmm. what's most important for us to know? Mm -hmm. Like, where's the risk if we don't answer this question? And that will guide your next step. Yeah. If you're like, okay, what the most important thing we want to know is like how our customers are already solving this problem or what their day is like, what their houses are like, how, how they make a particular decision. So once you have your most important question and you say the one that's the highest priority because you're making some decision based on that then it's super easy to design a study or to just find the information already online to say, oh, has anybody else asked this question already? Yeah. What information's out there? And then you can ask the question, you can design a study that answers that question really quickly. Like we had this one project a couple of years ago. It was this type of project where they had a lot of data, they were having a lot of arguments, they didn't know the way forward, and they were asking their questions all wrong. And it took a very, it was like two days. I'm not even joking. It was like two days of interviews with representative audience members. And they were like, oh yeah, we were going about this all wrong. We were asking the wrong questions. We were making all these assumptions and they had this whole marketing plan based on like bad assumptions. Mm -hmm. And I've seen this so many times because they're just not asking the right questions. And then you talk to people about their daily lives and you go, oh, like sometimes it's not obvious. And, and when you go through this process, you say, okay, now that we've, we've learned this, we've asked this question, we've learned this, what does it mean for us, right? And sometimes it might mean, oh, wait a second, our whole premise of our company is wrong and bad, right? There are a lot of startups that never do research because if they did, it would be like when, like, you know, Roadrunner and Coyote, and you know how Coyote runs off the cliff? And then he doesn't fall till he looks down. I think a lot of startups are like that. Like they're like, as long as we don't do research, we're going to keep like running through the air. And then they say, okay, what do people in the world really need? And that's looking down. And they're like, oh, wait a second. They told nobody's ever going to need our product that we've been making or they're not going to pay for it or it's just not going to work. And then the coyote falls to the bottom of the canyon. When do you have to do this though? When? Constantly. The way to think about it is like all other work in an organization is continuous, right? You have to do continuous product development, continuous marketing. Nobody ever says, okay, we did a marketing and now we're done forever. So it's continuous learning. It's continuously asking questions. It's the companion to all of the other work, whatever you're doing, whatever decisions you're making. There's the learning part. Oh, we're always learning, right? We're always make as long as you're making decisions, you're saying, do we have the information we need to make that decision? Like always, always asking. So the way to think about it is to think about it in terms of what decisions, and it's like a parallel track to every decision. Just like, I mean, it's just like in life. Like this is why Google has a business because people are constantly doing research in their daily life, right? There's the one little box where it's like, what are you looking for? What do you need to know? Yeah. Same thing. Same thing. But it, it doesn't have to be a big study. Sometimes it does, but it has to be the clarity of knowing what you need to know. 
if you're about to, if you think like, okay, we're trying to figure out what the problem is that we want to solve. Like we're at the very beginning of creating a product or a service or a business. That's when you have to do the big, like broad, the super broad questions. But if you're going along and you're like, okay, how do we better serve our existing customers? How do we get new customers? It's like every time you're like, okay, we want to kind of change where we're going. Like, oh, we want to stop losing existing customers. There's like, there's a set of questions to ask. It's whatever your goal is, whatever decisions you want to make. So it goes, one is goal, two is decisions to get to that goal. Mm-hmm. And then three is questions. So you can only figure out what your research questions are once you know what your goal is and what decisions. And it's kind of, it's iterative, right? You always have new goals and new decisions and new questions. Wow. That, okay. So first is goals, second is decisions, and third comes research questions. Mm-hmm. And what type of research questions does that mean? So is that trying to figure out, is our decision right? Or how do we make that decision? Mm-hmm. Like what are, what are research questions mean? So the type of question, it's, it's different. Like the, the biggest confusion people have is the research question is what you ask your customers uh, directly, but it's not, it's mm-hmm. what you want to know, mm-hmm. you know, to decrease risk and increase your mm-hmm. chance of success. Mm-hmm. So the kinds of questions are, there's the generative questions, mm-hmm. which are, we're looking for ideas or we just want to generally understand the world in broad terms. That's like the first kind of question you ask is, oh, we're just trying to understand what we know, what we don't know, what problems are. And then when you narrow a little bit, then you get to your descriptive questions, which are like, what's actually going on in the world? Like, that's the, how do people decide what to have for dinner? How many households in America have children under 18? Where are there the most children under 18, right? Where you just want to know something about the world. Then the next kind of question is your evaluative question, right? Mm-hmm. And I hate the word validate. Never say you want to validate something. <laughs> I read. Because yeah. that just means you want to be proven right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you get to your your next point, right, once you know what the world is like and you have an idea or a product or something, then you want to test it to see if it meets the criteria. Those are your evaluative questions. Mm-hmm. And then the last kind of question is your causal question, which is you notice something happening in the world and you say, why is that happening? And that's, that's another kind of question. You could notice something happening in your analytics. You could say, oh, wait a second. We were kind of uh, like going along and there was a sudden drop off or a sudden spike in some number. Well, you can't do math to figure out why that's happening. You have to say, oh, What's causing that? You have to step outside your measurements and say, how, what else is going on? How can we learn what led to that spike or that drop in that number? We've observed something through other means. How do we come up with an explanation Mm -hmm. for that? So that we can then like do more of that. If you're like, whoa, all of a sudden we got a lot more customers. Yeah. How do we do more of that? Or, oh no, all of a sudden, a whole lot of people shut their accounts. Like, how do we like fix that? You have to ask those kind of questions. So those are basically the kinds of, like your question is going to be one of those. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, like you sort of hum along at the descriptive level about, you know, talking to your, your customers on a regular basis to say, what's your experience like using our product or our service? Or what kind of words do you use to describe 
this particular topic? What's your language like? Yeah. You know, that's a that's a really good area where the, there's no substitute for talking to people if you want to know how people use words to kind of conceptualize their experience. So in terms of the different types of questions, is there a certain time to do it? Like I've noticed that for research, I don't know if this happens all the time, but generative mm-hmm. questions, like do a lot of people use it? Do you feel like they skip it and kind of get to the descriptive once they have some sort of a half product or prototype? They're like, okay, I'm going to push this out, see how this works. What do mm-hmm. you feel like? And what, and what do you think Mm-hmm. is a way to go. Is there a way to go? What What do you recommend? Yeah, oh, it would be great if people started with description. Everybody rushes right towards evaluative, yes, right? Yes, that's right. Everybody just makes a prototype and says, oh, I want to test my prototype, right? That's mm-hmm. skipping understanding. So it's like understanding the world. Then it's like understanding something specific about the world. Then it's like, okay, react to my thing. That won't <laughs> tell you about everything else you're not asking about. Yeah, I mean, the time is, I would say in general, people go too narrow, too fast with their questions because they're afraid. Again, they're the coyote afraid of looking down. They don't want to learn something that's going to teach them gravity, right? So that's a lot of reason why people don't ask these questions Mm -hmm. is they don't want to be proven wrong. But you want to get proven wrong as much as possible. So, I mean, it it all comes back to what, what are your goals and decisions, right? If you're doing something big and strategic, you should maybe ask big, wide open questions. If you're doing something really narrow, that assumes you've already asked these questions, but it is always worthwhile on a regular basis, kind of popping up and asking the more generative questions to say, oh, what's going on in the world right now? How, what problems are people having? It's that question that I mentioned uh, earlier in our conversation, the walk me through your day yesterday. Yeah. That's the specific interview question. But the bigger, like the generative question is what are people like this? What are their days like? What's just sort of generally happening? Is there anything else that we need to be thinking about is kind of the big question. Like what are we missing Mm -hmm. is like a big, good generative question. Like what might we be missing? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question to always have on your wall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one way to answer that question is to just get on the phone with people. Like if you know Indy Young, Indy Young does all this work in problem space research. And she's a, a friend and does really great stuff. All she does is get on literally a voice call with people. Mm-hmm like not even video, anything. And that's how she does the generative problem space work. That's really all it takes. It's so fast and easy. And even if when you start, you're not even careful, like if you're just trying to get this practice going, even if you're not even that careful about who you recruit, which is something I'm normally like really on people about being very careful in their recruiting. But seriously, just get to some people you don't know and say, walk me through your day yesterday and shut up and only ask like, Oh, tell me more about that kind of questions. You'll learn some stuff if you're willing to listen. And that's so fast. That's a fast, easy technique to keep yourself more up at that level. So you're not just down at that low level, like, Oh, what do you think about this one feature? Which I think is often the level that people are working at in organizations. They're always like, Oh, we built a thing. What do you think about it? And they're always down there. And then they're wondering why they're not doing what they want to be doing. Or seeing the results that they're trying to see because they're so narrow into their product yeah. and so tunnel vision, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, there's just this fear. It's it's just fear of asking a question that's too broad. Because the other thing that I would want more people to know about research is just because you ask the question doesn't mean you have to take a particular action. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's all just learning. So you might learn something and say, oh, you know what? We learned something really interesting that won't affect our work until next year. We're not going to be there until next year. And that's totally fine. But I think people think that, oh, if we ask this question, we have to be able to use that immediately. It goes back to this idea that everybody has to be fully 1000% productive all the time in this moment. And we have all this short-term thinking, right? We are just the victims of so much short-term thinking. Mm -hmm. So that if you learn something today that you can't act on until next year, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that, assuming that there's a next year. Totally fine. You know, assuming that you're still going to be doing this work, that's great to know something in advance. So you can prepare to do a thing. Fantastic. But there's this like, oh, we've got to build a thing on Monday based on what we learned today. And it's like, why? That is, that's very interesting. That's a real, these are such good points. Like, cause I've noticed like for at least when I do research on my own and I've noticed like now that I'm thinking about it, I probably ask maybe one general question. And it's like, oh, like, uh, you know, what, what do you think about this? Like, you know, where do you go for competitors? But even then I feel like it's too narrow. Mm-hmm. Like the moment we're like, okay, but who are your competitors or like, mm-hmm. Who do you normally go to even? I feel like it's mm-hmm. too specific. Like we need to go one level higher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, okay. I have a lot of notes to take for myself too. Like, <laughs> this is, like now that I realize I'm like, okay, like my user testing uh, script is going to look very different at this point. But it, I feel like the idea behind general questions is that it's going to take a long time to get to the results we want to hear and see. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the mindset that we need to start changing yeah. rather than going, let's test this feature. We'll get the results we want. 10 people did this. Two people did that. It's like, no, no, no. Let's take a step back. Mm-hmm. Maybe the interview is going to be longer or like the conversation is going to be longer, but that might give us more insight to not just what we're working on, but something broader and bigger and mm-hmm. maybe a whole pivot. Like we just, yeah. we're actually blindsiding ourselves by being so specific. Yeah. And it, it wow. doesn't even take that much more time. Like you can try just adding on 10 minutes. Like when I do uh, my workshops, I I make people do these exercises so fast, like interview each other in like 10 minutes. And the amount you can learn, if you just stop, like you can just add 10 minutes onto anything you're doing, any kind of like customer user interaction, any kind of research, just take 10 minutes to be like, tell me about yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and really, as long as you're really open-minded and listening for things that are interesting and, and as long as you have what you're trying to understand in the background, then you'll know like, oh, are they telling me something relevant or not? Cause I'm not saying that whatever somebody rambles about is what you will answer your question, Yeah. but you, you need that clarity of what you really need to learn so that you can be successful. Yeah. But if you have that, say, if you have the one question that everybody in your organization, you say, okay, this is our question this quarter is what are we missing? Right. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of have people always listening for that. That's a great one. And you just compile it. And you're like, here are all the things that we think we're missing. Okay. Which of these might be important? Which are these relevant? Mm -hmm. Maybe there are things you haven't been thinking about and you're like, well, Mm -hmm. huh, we didn't really know about that, but 
that doesn't really change anything for us. But maybe you'll start hearing things and you're like, wow. Like, yeah. there was a really interesting thread on, on Twitter. Andrew, Andrew Wilkinson was the founder of Meta Lab. It's another design um, agency. And, and he's also done a lot of software and products. And I, I met him at South by Southwest like a, a million years ago. And he launched a productivity app called Flow. And a couple of days ago on Twitter, sometime this week, he, and this is coming out in May, it'll be like, look back in the annals of time. <laughs> so he writes a really interesting thread. And he's a, like, he's a smart guy. And he's a designer who advises other organizations. But he talks about how much money he sunk into developing this product that was kind of a non-starter, right? Because he got this blindness. Mm -hmm. And even like other people came to him and said, we're your competition. And and you're, this isn't what you're doing isn't going to go anywhere. And he kind of refused to listen. And it's, it's a really interesting thread because he got so stuck that he wasn't asking the like, is this ever going to turn into a thing? And that cost him a lot of money. And he wrote about why that cost him so much money. And it's really interesting that this person who, if he were working with a client, I 100% believe that he could have identified questions for that client. To say like, oh, what's the market like? What's the competition like? Do you really have competitive advantage? But he could not ask those questions of himself because he was so in love with his own idea. And this is why it's good to have people from the outside come in and help. Because a lot of times it is hard in the inside to really figure out what you need to know because you're so close to it that you can't like step back. And that's the time when it's good to bring somebody in like not even to do all the work because it's not about the actual things you're doing. It's not about the interviews or the analysis or anything like that. People inside are often super capable at all of those things. It's this having the perspective to say, oh, this is what you really need to know. And that's why that's like such a part of my work now is because it's not like everybody in-house can do the like, do the things. It's not that they're not capable it's not that they're not smart. It's just really hard to be like, oh, wait a second. We totally missed this. Or we didn't even, we have this blind spot. Very interesting. That, that like, I'm starting to think about my, like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, the things that I have missed. And now it makes sense. Like, I'm, so for example, for me in my role right now, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do a heuristic evaluation on something that I've worked on for so long and I'm just staring at it. And I've literally told them, I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know where to even start. I, I feel like my mind spinning and going, oh, but this issue is this and that and that. And like, it starts mapping out different things because I'm so close to it. Yeah. So in terms of like even different research mm-hmm. methods, it looks like it doesn't even matter what you're even doing. I feel like you just need a pair of a mm-hmm. fresh pair of eyes to kind of look at it rather than you yourself, because you're just always, you've always been so close mm-hmm. to it with or without you knowing. Yeah. So I'm definitely feeling that right now. You know, we talked about questions and it sounds like we've been talking about moderated where there's conversation, you're there, you're always talking to the user, Mm -hmm. but there's not always Mm -hmm. time for that. Or I guess there's not always Mm -hmm. space for that. Sometimes some people try to do testing where it's unmoderated, where they give out a script. So in terms of that, say you're not able to be there to moderate this conversation, what happens then? Do the questions be the same Mm -hmm. or do we have to think about how we can formulate our questions Mm -hmm. so we're not it's hard to not derail them without being super specific. So then mm-hmm. what happens there? Do we get the right answers? What's, is there right or wrong? 
Well, like, why, why do anything unmoderated? Like, if the point is learning, <laughs> you know, because it's like, why are you doing this at all? Like, if because because here's the thing: is the point to check a box and say you tested something, or is the point to learn? Yeah. If the point is to learn, you need the people doing the learning doing the thing, right? Yeah. That's why you have to shift the focus from we're doing research to we're learning, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Because there's so many organizations that do so much quote-unquote research and do not learn, which is, again, why I have work. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and that's it. But, no, I think unmoderate, like, when there's no time to do moderated, like, fix that. Fix it so there's time because it doesn't take that much time. Again, you're like, coyote doesn't want to look down that's that's where the there's always time and money mm-hmm. there's always time and money because i could tell you anybody who's like i'm like give me an amount of time give me a thing you want to know and give me an amount of time and i bet i could find something out you know if it came down to it if it was like oh does what we're doing make sense i could probably grab five people off twitter in an hour and answer that question. And be like, mm-hmm. does this part of our app make sense? Yeah. If you know what you're looking for, right? If you know the kind of people, I could be like, okay, I need like five people who work in marketing right now. You know, like that's the simplest, like super casual version. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be the mindset instead of like, oh, we have to go through this process and it's too much money. So of course, because yeah. the other thing that's happening is all of these, these research platform software companies are selling organizations on the idea that you can put research on rails. Mm-hmm. You can't because unless like if you're doing a, a completely automated system that takes feedback and adjusts, right? If it's all in software, then yeah, then that can be automated, but you cannot do unmoderated research if humans are going to be using the result. Mm-hmm. You can use automated like sensing or analytics, or you can do math. Mm-hmm. If a computer is using the numbers, if it's just going straight in where it's like, oh, the computer's making the decisions based on inputs, then it can be unmoderated. But if humans need to learn, humans need to be in the room. Or else why? Or else why bother? Or else don't even bother. You know? Yeah. No, that, that 100% makes sense. I am super down on unmoderated usability. And I can tell. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> why? Because why? Because then when you get some report that you read that, and you get no context or you watch a video, which is like, which takes the same amount of time. So, so if the theory is that you're going to do unmoderated and then review the videos, cool. Now you've set somebody up to not have the fun of doing the interaction with a human and then have to watch the most boring television show in the world. <laughs> I don't care. Oh my God. I don't care. What app you're creating watching like usability test videos that you weren't involved in is literally the most boring TV show in the world. It is so painful. No offense, but it's just so painful. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so you've taken your job as a researcher, which should be super fun and you've made it suck. Cause I can tell you designing the, the false economy is that you have to be so precise in designing an unmoderated test, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got to get everything set up. And that's, again, so, so the human is doing all the sucky work. You're doing all this stuff to really get your prototype and your test and your script all perfect. 
that's a pain and that's boring. And then you're sitting there watching canned videos of people doing the thing and that's boring. So you're getting lower quality data with no time savings and you're making your researchers sad. And, and then, then what? Yeah. Then you have to write a report on that. Whereas what you could do and present it yeah. and present it. Ugh, that's so much overhead. It's all the bad parts of the job. You've taken the fun part of the job away. And it's all the bad parts of the job as opposed to if you're doing this sort of thing live and facilitating it, you can have a much sketchier prototype. You can learn more. It's fun. People can watch, you know, mm -hmm. they can casually, like, especially with the technology we have now for remote research, they can just be listening in. I've done a ton of stuff where I'm training, where I'm coaching organizations on how to do research. And you just set up the calendar invites and people can drop in and listen and they'll learn so much. And they can be like doing their job, whatever, and listening in. Mm -hmm. And then everybody learns mm -hmm. and you don't have one sad person doing all this crappy work. But there's this idea. Yeah. There's the fake precision. There's the if you're more mm -hmm. miserable, then your work is more useful. There's the research is more expensive if you if you do it with yeah. like humans present. Yeah, lies. It's all lies. I feel attacked. I feel attacked. <laughs> I personally attacked. Personally attacked so you. Attacked. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool if your job is fun. And you can actually be more effective if you're having fun. Yeah. Really. That's my message to everybody. There you go. That's it. I'm so convinced from this point forward. <laughs> moderated. Excellent throughout Excellent. i'm gonna convince everybody moderate all the way if they don't get convinced they're listening to this podcast episode and then they'll get convinced sure. this is what we're doing yeah absolutely i do have a question though about moderated so my question is like say we're listening in right so i'm interviewing the person people are listening in um so people I guess because I'm so used to unmoderated testing and that there's like, you know, you take your insights, you create that infinity map, and then you share insights. Everything is very like on paper, on stickies, on Miro. But now when it comes to this moderated conversation with questions that are laid out to some extent, so then with the insights, everyone's picking up different things now, right? So my learnings could be different. The second or third person might be picking up different things. Mm -hmm. How do we all now collaborate and come together and figure out what mm -hmm. are our learnings? Is it literally everything we've mentioned? Is it mm -hmm. one versus what? What does the learnings look like? How do we take that and bring that up as insights after? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are two parts to that. One, anybody listening in is going to just pick up more of the reality even if their conclusion is slightly different, mm -hmm. that will be sort of internalized. Like they will get it, you know, way more than if they're reading a report. Mm -hmm. They will hear like in that person's voice. They will remember the, what that person says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the danger to that is they hear one thing and they think, oh, I've just heard this one anecdote. I'm going to go off and like build a feature because I heard one anecdote from one person. That is the danger. Mm -hmm. The way that you account for that is before you let people in, you let them know what the plan is. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm talking to these people. Here are our questions. As much as possible, if you have, again, that meeting where it's like, let's talk about what our big research questions are. And if you include them in that meeting, and it could be a pretty short, it could be an hour. It could be half an hour, actually. If you give yourself too little time, you're like, okay, we're going to meet for half an hour. I'm going to show you what I'm trying to find out from this round of research. 
And if there's something else you'd like to know, ask if you want to put it in and I'll let you know like, oh yeah, that's part of our priority or let's let's put that on the list for the future, right? And so if they already know what the question is and if they've had a hand in helping to prioritize those questions or at least been asked, right? Because a lot of times people don't even necessarily have an agenda or have input. They just want to be included because otherwise it feels like, oh, here's a report. I've assigned you homework. I've done all the stuff. You just have to do what I say. But if you go to people and you're like, okay, we're going to be talking to some of these customers. We want to know this. Is there anything else about that, about like this general topic you'd like to know? And they say, I'd like to know what other devices they have in their house or what's their favorite television program or how do they use Alexa or whatever. And you're like, okay, I think we can get that from this. Then they're like, oh, cool. I'm included in this. But if you tell them that this is what we're trying to find out, like we're trying to find out, say, what's their greatest area of frustration? That's what we're trying to learn. Then they will be primed going into that. Oh, I'm listening for frustration. Mm -hmm. And then afterwards, you can say, oh, what did we hear that's frustration? And maybe somebody will argue and say, well, I don't know if they felt really frustrated. That discussion is so much more important than any report. Mm -hmm. If you talk to people and you're like, let's talk about what we heard, people will learn and internalize the conclusions. It might be the case that you get somebody with a completely left field interpretation, but it's not as likely, right? It's mm-hmm. way less likely than it is that they will get the results of some report and be like, okay, cool, and do whatever anyway. Mm-hmm. If you get people listening to interviews or participating in that, they will feel an emotional connection to that reality, right? And they'll be like, oh, wow, I understand that. And so even if they understand that from one person and they get one person's reality in their head, mm-hmm. then you have something to work on because then you can say, oh, like this person had this frustration that represents this larger theme. And now what you have is you have an intellectual and emotional hook for all of the rest of your story. And you have a much better chance of your research work affecting the rest of that person's work. And now they're more connected to reality outside. And that's really powerful. And you do not get that. Like maybe you get it if you force them to sit there and watch the videos later, but it's also like, ah, and then they're speeding through and, you know, <laughs> it's different. Yes. Oh, my God. That, that's my secret. That is literally my secret. 1.6 speed is my secret because it's so hard. It's not a secret. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Busted. Busted. Yeah. So it's that false economy. You think you're saving time, but actually, yeah. it you know, there's all this yeah. other stuff you're spending time on. And you really don't need, if you're doing something like a usability test, like it's so great to be able to change up the prototype live. And it's so easy because you don't need that high fidelity thing to actually test certain things. If you're testing language, which is really important, if you're testing a flow, like if you do something that's really sketchy and you Mm -hmm. talk to somebody and they have trouble and you're doing moderated, what you can do is then just go in and say, oh, what if I relabel that button? And what if I put this line of text under it? You go to the next person and you're like, oh, that worked. Mm -hmm. Because it's qualitative and not quantitative, you can change it up like that. And then what you do is you learn and then you can like add a couple of people and say, oh, did that work? Oh, that worked for the people too. Great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So being able to iterate while you're usability testing is fantastic. You cannot do that with unmoderated. So you can actually work a lot faster. 
or get to the get to where you want to go faster. Mm-hmm. So you know the changes that you made for like this one person. You're like, okay, it didn't work for them. Let me make this change. Um, what if that change was not necessary for anyone else? Like now you made this change. You're like, okay, but what if this the first maybe the first version was okay for some versus others, but we changed it. What happens then? Do we? You you learn. You show it to the next person. And you see like, mm-hmm. oh, how did they respond to that? Did they notice it? And it might be different for different yeah. types of people. But because you're a human using your human brain, seeing this stuff, you're thinking about it. You're thinking. You can yeah. use your judgment. That's where your experience and your judgment come into play. Because I think the other mm-hmm. promise of you know something unmoderated is, oh, it's more objective. That's lies. It's probably not more objective. None of this is objective. If there is a human involved at any point, mm-hmm. it's not objective it's always subjective you know but is it more or less reflective of the reality does it more or less answer your question is it more or less useful you know those those are the ways to think about it and i think there's this fear of like oh we changed something and it's not science or whatever you're not publishing in an academic journal you're learning to make a more successful product who do you who do you have to prove this to right if you go through this you'll know you're like okay we started with this. Okay, we learned this, but the first person had a bad reaction to this. We showed it to the second person. Right. They had a similar reaction. We made a change. We showed it to a third person. Okay, that seemed to work for them. Because you're not doing A-B testing. You're not going to them and saying, is this better? Is that better? You're like, you have your questions that you're trying to, you know, you're trying to evaluate your solution based on these criteria. And you're like, oh yeah, we figured out that this word works pretty well. You don't have to prove as long as that word I've done so much, like, I, I haven't done a lot of usability testing in a while, but I've done so much, like, paper prototype stuff. You really don't need, if you're clear about what you're trying to learn, you don't need high-fidelity artifacts. You can tell if somebody is really the right match for that task. Like, those sorts of tests fail when somebody steps back and they start evaluating the prototype, like it's a picture hanging on a wall you know you've got a bad recruit. Mm-hmm. If somebody's like, oh, yeah. you know, when yeah. I step back and think about the usability of this design, you're like professional test taker. Or they're like, mm-hmm. you know, as I think about that color of green or whatever, you know, or you know, I'm, I'm stepping back. If somebody is involved in that task and they really attach to it, you know that that's a person who really is in that situation in real life. And that's what happens with a lot of these platforms too, is you just get people who don't, who aren't really good matches. You don't really, and they're kind of going through the motions because they get an incentive and you can sense that in the moment and then you can adjust your recruiting or something. Yeah. But otherwise you're watching, you know, bad TV of people using an interface. Yeah. <clears throat> Half my life, but <clears throat> Moving on. Yeah, sorry. I, I hope this improves things for you. Yeah. No, it will. Trust me. Trust me. I am done watching bad TV. It's not. I feel like we get so stuck into the, oh, what methodology should we use? What tools should we use? What's the better one? It's not mm-hmm. that. It's, it's not that. Yeah. It's And it, this doesn't just apply. Like, I know this episode or this podcast is mainly for conversational AI. Like, that was kind of the target. But I feel like there's so many takeaways here that applies Generally, because user research is not specific to one mm-hmm. versus the other. It's literally for right. it's mm-hmm. for your problem. You're trying to solve a problem. What do you do you need mm-hmm. to, to get there? Yeah, it doesn't matter what device, right? Like I feel like yeah. that's kind of the takeaway here. Mm-hmm. We haven't even spoken about devices, but there's so many takeaways from user research that anyone can 
apply on mm-hmm. in any role, regardless of what devices you're using or like mm-hmm. what their industry, whatever it may be. Like, I feel like it's really, mm-hmm. it's really straightforward, which we don't realize it is. Like, we don't realize how straightforward it is. We need to take mm-hmm. a step back and figure it out. Just going back to what we were talking about, about people just sort of being surrounded by technology and online all the time. Yeah. If somebody's interacting with, say, a voice system, you know, AI conversation, all that, that's not the only thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. So you can't, that's, that's why it's important to yeah. think about things holistically. Because again, to that person, whatever they're doing is in a context. And that context probably has everything, right? They still exist in time and space. Yeah. They're still, they're probably doing other things that you need to know about, whether it's like, oh, I'm using this, you know, I'm using my smart speaker in my kitchen while I cook, or mm-hmm. I'm watching TV and I'm shouting something out to a system and you have to know what else is going on so you don't accidentally or on purpose do that terrible thing where like Alexa was triggering a Burger King ad or so, I don't know. Or if you're designing a system for somebody driving, like all of these things happen in contexts that involve multiple modalities and multiple products and systems coming together. So you can't have that kind of tunnel vision of, oh, we're only thinking about the voice part, mm-hmm. right? You're like, oh, are they using the voice as a complement to other things? Are they using it as an accessibility mode because there's a default mode uh, and they either need or prefer the conversational mode to the written or something else, you know? So you've got to understand the other modalities too. So it's all one. That's why it's all it's all one kind of thing. I think that's really the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Because I noticed at least like the objective, like the way I was thinking about it was like, oh, let's focus on this specific like conversation AI so mm-hmm. people can learn about it. But it's like, we need to zoom out. So we got that right mindset. Mm-hmm. Quick question though, in terms of like, right now we have web and mobile. It's literally everywhere and anywhere. Smart speakers, is it new like, I want to know from your perspective, what do you think? Is that, is conversational design, is conversational AI like a newer technology coming forward? Is that something that people are trying to adopt to? Was that always here? Yeah. Conversation's the oldest interface because before we had, you know, what we think of as technology, we had to interact with other humans who we couldn't control and needed to get. So if you need to get information from another person or you need to, collaborate or you need to get anything done you had to talk to a person right so conversation is it it is an interface because that's how you understand what's in somebody's head or you know figure something out with them the problem is that we haven't and this is why i i wrote conversational design is that any interaction Mm -hmm. should reflect the fact that humans converse like that's how we interact but that doesn't mean to take it quote-unquote literally which is funny uh, a funny thing to say Mm -hmm. and say like oh we should just copy the surface right because a lot of conversational we call conversational systems conversational ui voice systems are copying the surface of a conversation without really understanding the mechanics of why it works and so the underlying dynamic of what makes something conversational is true across interactive systems. And so a true thing is that some of the computers that talk 
are less good at conversation than websites, than some websites, because they violate the principles that make conversation work. The other thing is that, like, I think it's great that there is a, a way to interact with systems using voice because other modes might be inconvenient, unavailable, or inaccessible. So that's great. But you have to understand why in that context, it's a good option. Just because humans talk to other humans doesn't mean that that's always the easiest or best way to talk. Like think about why we enjoy just using websites so much or like why you like shopping on Instagram. Shopping on Instagram is, is more fun than talking to a person in a store for a lot of reasons. What, right? Not always, but, but if given the choice, if you were given the choice of, okay, here's a person, say, make it a really friendly person, say, okay, you can either interact with your Instagram on your phone to shop for something, or you can talk to this person and all your interactions have to be through conversation where you're like, oh, hi, do you have orange sweaters? Could I see an orange sweater? Do you have a different one? You'd be like, I just want to like scroll through the cute sweaters. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> Same thing for any kind of interface yeah. besides a human. It's like, yeah. is it more fun for you to say, oh, like it, it's more fun to say, oh, Alexa, you know, play the Chemical Brothers. Easy peasy. Oh, that's great. I'm cooking. I want to hear music. I want to hear this music. I don't want to touch anything. That, and and I'm asking for something that's that's audio. Yep. So that's a great interaction for that. Mm -hmm. It's way more annoying. Like when I have to interact with the Sonos system, like we have we have all the things and it's it's crazy making. So my hands are messy and I want to play something from an app through a speaker that doesn't have a voice interface and I'm like getting sauce on my phone. That's terrible. <laughs> that's a time when a, when a voice interface would be way better. Driving voice interface way better. The fact that your GPS reads instructions to you. Awesome. So you don't, nobody should look at a screen while they're driving a car. So that's great. But there are other times, like say, like I've, I've been in this scenario going back to when we used to have airports and cars and things <laughs> uh, and go places. If I were traveling internationally, which is a thing I used to do a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to tell my bank not to turn off my credit cards when I got to a different country, right? Mm -hmm. Imagine I'm in a taxi and I call my bank right. and I want to do this. And that I've had this happen where the automated system is like asking me questions that I have to reply to by voice and not giving me the option to key it in or at least not one that it's presenting. And I'm there like, I'm in New York and I'm taking the train to the airport. I don't want to be there, like, speaking my bank information aloud. Mm -hmm. And it's happened a couple occasions where whatever system or particular credit card I had was like, now, say your credit card number. And I'm like, I'm not going to say my credit card number on the Long Island Railroad, you know? Yeah. I want to have a way to just, like, if there was an app and I could just hit the button, like, I could use my thumb to log into my bank and then hit that my that account and then say I'm traveling internationally and there was just like a button that would be the ideal interface to be like oh don't turn off this card I'm traveling or something you know with no talking and no typing that would be ideal but that takes understanding the full context mm -hmm. like oh you might be in public when you're doing this oh you, your hands might be covered in sauce when you're doing this 
oh, it might be dark when you're doing this. Like the more that you just understand somebody's full reality, the better whatever small part of that you affect can fit into that. Mm -hmm. Because that whole reality isn't going to change. Like your little piece has got to fit into that. That is a really, really good point. Reality will never change. What you make just has to fit in. Yeah. That's it. And there are great examples of things that are like, oh, this is an amazing technology. It's going to change everything. But it just didn't fit into people's lives. Like, I live in an 1884 house. Oh, wow. Right? Mm. This house, like, Wi-Fi is a problem in this house. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because because of the way it was built. Mm -hmm. You look down my street, my street looks the same way it has for 50 years, probably. Like, the cars are maybe smaller and rounder yeah but it doesn't look very different mm-hmm. and I've still got books and bookshelves and my chairs maybe probably a little more ergonomic than a chair in 1970 was or something but most of this reality despite the fact that we're talking over the internet like if you took this stuff away this room would look like it did in 1885 like if I just like shut my laptop and like hid the camera and my extra monitor this room would be full of things that somebody from the 1880s would totally recognize and so all the technology has to fit into that yeah that's a very very interesting that's a very interesting outlook to it yet we the way we look at it though is as if the newer technology that's coming in we're trying to adapt to that but it's actually the other way around that no one really realizes Mm-hmm. just mind blown like my brain is yeah. tired <laughs> blowing up oh my god and it's like really straightforward concepts that we just overlook or we just don't talk about uh-huh. like we just don't take the time to talk about yeah i feel like we take more time to like find out why it's things are so complicated the way they are and talk about everything in a more complicated way but let's take a step back mm-hmm. and i feel like life in general can just be summarized in three sentences talk to people fit into reality reality is not going to change that's it yeah but it's hard it's hard because it because you get the tunnel vision yeah and you're working on your one product or your one company and you and it's all like future 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 yeah yeah i totally encourage people to just like look around them and think like when were these things invented you know the things i'm surrounded by like even it might be a fun exercise like Put a sticky note, like a post-it with like the date that object first like was invented. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. And you look around your room and you're like, okay, my door has a lock in it with a, a regular tumbler key with a tumbler. Oh, 1500s. Mm. You know, when was the first, okay, bookcase. So like when were books, like printed books, you could decide like what counts. Is it going to be handwritten or is it going to be like the Gutenberg movable type stuff? Okay, mm-hmm. put a date there. You know, you're like glass windows. When did we get glass? When did I get blinds? And just yeah. look how many things have been around for like hundreds of years, for like a thousand years. Yeah. And then think like, and here's my monitor, like my flat monitor from, you know, that became a thing in, I don't know, when were flat panels really common? Like 2002 or 2003 or something like that. Yeah, around the time. Yeah, I feel like that's what we need. Just like some sort of sense of reality, just to stop and be like, we can 
running. We're just keeping, we're just running towards this, like the unknown, but Mm -hmm. we need to stop and realize, no, hey, like it's not as, it's not as hard as it should be. We just have to kind of take a step back. Yeah. Like take the, and it's like, it's a fake pressure. It's a fake pressure because people are, again, think of the coyote looking down. It's all about the coyote looking down. That's it. Everybody's afraid. What would happen if I stopped? Oh, all of this would, would collapse. Wow. I, this coyote analogy, I feel like we can take on just, not in just research, but I feel like I can take it on with life in yeah. general. Oh my God, that's, that's a really I think so, but you just, you stop. You come to a landing and you're like, okay, where where am I? Where am I? This is like Bill, Bill Murray's thing for when he would describe, I don't know if this was just advice he'd give other people. It's a thing he'd do if he felt like he was kind of spinning out would be just it's like a little meditation just mm-hmm. shut his eyes and picture like okay i'm just here i'm sitting like where's my body in relation to everything it's like you just be for a second and then work out from there mm-hmm. you know and don't freak out about stuff mm-hmm. that's like oh does that really matter like what would happen if i didn't do that today what would happen if i left work at yeah. 3 p.m like things would still continue the earth would still continue orbiting the sun if you like closed your laptop on the outside. <laughs> it's true. It is like that. It'll be fine. That's actually the perfect way. Literally do your research. It'll be fine. Life is fine. Just sit still, you know, ask the right questions, kind of zoom out just in life and anything you do, you just got to zoom out mm-hmm. and just ask general questions, not be too specific. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Wow. Easy peasy. Yeah. Easy peasy. That's it. Literally, I feel like more than user research, I felt like I just took a lot of life lessons. Like, I feel like I'm a new person just walking out of this episode. Like, <laughs> Excellent. Just, I don't, the way I'm going to do research from this point forward, maybe even the way I talk to people and the questions I'm going to ask in general about them and like the way I'm going to look at life. Just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a new person, Erica. Like, you've changed me. You've changed me. I'm a new person. Fantastic. <laughs> That was probably your goal anyway. Just converting everyone to be good people. That's it. We're done. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. That's one person, one conversation at a time. There you go. That is it. That is it. I really love this conversation that we've had so far. I feel like I love the layout. I loved how open things were. And I, I loved how you kind of just ended up tying it back to what we were talking about from the beginning, well, even though we were just more like ranting about life and why mm-hmm. it is what it is and whatnot. But mm-hmm. it's... It's like your thought process, your mindset. I feel like your experiences all like bring out such interesting insights that we don't hear day to day because we're so used to hearing this. These are what you need to fo- like. It's like a process you need to follow. Step one, two, three, four. We're mm-hmm. so used to hearing that, that when, when you bring up like changing your mindset, I, asking the right questions, it's, it's interesting to know like, oh, like you can ask vague questions and you sh- you will still be fine. Good, yeah. You don't need to be precise. Mm-hmm. You don't need to follow a process. It's, I think it's super interesting. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that and I'm glad you shared your experiences. And um, I had such a great time. If you have anything, any last words or any other takeaways that you want listeners to kind of listen to, or take away literally <laughs> uh, about what you think user research should be about, and for the devices, I'm not even going to be specific. Yeah. I'm going to just use a research for whatever you're creating, whatever problems you're solving. That's it. I'm not even going to be specific. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is just like, it, it's all it's all practice. There's no magic tool or magic, 
methodology, it's just, it's being really clear on what you need to know and why you need to know it. And just thinking like always learning and always learning more. And it's all additive. Mm -hmm. And even when you, when something goes wrong and you make a mistake, you've, you've learned something then too, right? Nothing, nothing is wasted. That's it. That's, that's literally it. Perfect. Nothing is wasted. So we can confidently do whatever we want, whatever feels right. We know that will take us to where we need to go with Mm -hmm. the objectives in mind and we should be good Mm -hmm. to go. Right. Yeah. So Erica said it, that means we can do it. (laughs) We're good. Yeah. No, but thank you so much for your time. Um, This has been such a pleasure. I think we got some great insight uh, about research, about life in general, just how to navigate life by Erica Hall. Like that's literally what this episode should be. (laughs) But have I said thank you yet? I don't know. I'll say it again. Thank you (laughs) for your time. It's been such a pleasure. We'll keep in touch and yeah, we're good to go. Thank you. That was part two of the Voice This Podcast interview with the thought-provoking Erica Hall. We hope you enjoyed Erica's pointed takes on how to keep a sensible yet robust research mindset in your organization, where to start before you research, and the importance of involving stakeholders throughout that process. Erica left us with a lot to think about when it comes to keeping a user or person-first mindset throughout our work, and not being hesitant to ask questions in our research that might not have an immediate business use. Or, as we learned, your organization might wind up as a puddle of cartoon coyote at the bottom of a cliff. Join us in our next episode where we'll talk about concept generation and product development. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast player and be notified for new episodes. If you want to know more about Voice Tech Global and this podcast, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at VoiceThisPod or on Medium at VoiceTechGlobal. That was Voice This, and we'll see you next time.